So Incredibles 2 is officially the number one animated movie of all time. It has made over a billion dollars this summer after being introduced in uh, just June of this year. And when you combine it with the first Incredibles movie, you have a combined total of close to $2 billion made from these two films. And the movie is really not a superhero movie, although there are superheroes in it. It's really not a movie about superheroes. It's really a family movie. And I don't mean that it just doesn't have any bad words in it. I mean, it's a movie about family. About family dynamics, about how it works, about how it operates, about what parenting looks like, about what it looks like to try to build a family. And if most of you know, The Incredibles is a movie of the story of a family of superheroes living in a world where superheroes are illegal. Asking the questions, how do we be the people we're supposed to be when we can't be who we're supposed to be? How do we develop a family in the midst of that? How do we live a life in the midst of that? It's a story of this family trying to figure it out. It's an interesting family, right? I mean, the picture we've got of the Incredibles cast there, you'll see in the middle is Bob Parr, Mr. Incredible, the dad of the family. His wife, Helen, who is Elastigirl, that's like plastic man of old, can stretch and move around all things. Violet, the teenager who can disappear, become invisible, build force fields. And Dash, the son who's elementary school and can run really fast. And Jack-Jack, the baby. Just a question, all right? How many of you have seen at least one of these two movies, all right? Okay? So I'm going to do just a quick poll. We're going to... We're going to see who's favorite, who's the favorite Incredibles character, all right? So choose your favorite here, all right? Who, who, who's is uh, Mr. Incredible? How many of those we got? There we go. I see those hands. All right. What about Elastigirl? Helen? Few, all right. What about Violet? Anybody got some Violet? We got Maddox down here. Good Maddox, all right. About Dash, we got any Dash fans? Dash fans, yeah. Yeah, I know that, Luke. You don't make that. Yes, I know that. And then Jack-Jack. I mean, Jack-Jack. There we go. We got Jack-Jack in the house, right? He doesn't say a word, and yet he steals the show, all right? And so here's what happens. Sometimes when you're doing a sermon series, perhaps hypothetically about movies, you, you go too far into the rabbit hole. You, you, you get too deep into the weeds about what the movie is. And one of the things I thought that was interesting about this movie as I thought about it this week and read about it this week is that each of the characters' superpowers correspond to their stage and function in life. So Mr. Incredible is what? Super strong. Like he's super strong. That's who he is. And that's what dads want to be. They want to be the strength of their family. They want to make sure that they are strong foundation for them. And Elastigirl can, it's flexible. She can go all over the place. She can do multiple things at once. She can take care of something over there with her arms stretched out while she's taking care of something here differently, right? Violet is the teenager. And what does she like to do? Disappeared and build a force field to keep everybody out. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord, right? She's a teenager. She won't be around. She wants to be disappeared. Just kind of go away. All right. What about Dash? Dash is the hyperactive elementary school kid that has way too much energy that just runs everywhere as fast as he can. And I don't have a clue about Jack Jack. All right. The, the stuff breaks down there. But it's an interesting film 
because each of the members have a different task to bring. There are lots of directions we could go today, actually, about kind of discussing themes throughout this movie. But the one that I want to talk about today, I think, is the central theme of the entire movie. Because even though it's about superheroes, it's not about superheroes. Even though there are great action sequences, it's not about action sequences. Even though there are villains that have something to teach us about our own society and who we are, it's not what I think it's really about. I think at the heart of the movies is the question, where does my family fit in? And I don't mean like, where does my family fit into the world? What I mean is, in my life, and what I'm doing, and who I am, and who I'm becoming, where does my family fit? Imagine being Mr. Incredible, and you're not allowed to be Mr. Incredible. In the first movie, we see him at the beginning of kind of the second, they do the marriage thing, and then we see him, he's an office worker at an insurance agency. Working for a guy that's a terrible boss who has given him a hard time, and he knows he's made for something bigger than that. The opportunity comes and he jumps at it, and in the midst of that he asks to ask the question, but what about my family? In the second movie, it's not Mr. Incredible, it's Elastigirl that gets pulled in, that she can help save the world, and yet to save the world she's got to sacrifice time with her family. And the question really becomes, where does my family fit in the overall understanding of who I am and what I'm about and what my goal in life is, what I'm trying to accomplish? Where does being a dad, being a mom, being a husband, being a wife, where does that fit into everything else that I'm doing? So here's what I want to do today. I want to talk about three lessons that we learned just kind of from watching it, the the movies. And then I want to go to the scriptures and ask the question, what should we be doing about those questions or those statements that we learn? And the first thing that these movies teach us and the first thing that scripture teaches, the first thing that life experience teaches us is that parenting is hard. Can I get an amen in the house of the Lord? Being a parent is hard. Okay, every aspect of being a parent is hard. What I think is always interesting about the movies is these are people that literally save the world and can't figure out how to handle it at home. Right. Like parenting is hard. One of my favorite commenters on parenting is a guy named Jim Gaffigan, who's a comedian. And this is what he says. He says, every night before I get my one hour of sleep, I have the same thought. Well, that's a wrap on another day of acting like I actually know what I'm doing. He says, I wish I were exaggerating, but I'm not. Most of the time, I feel entirely unqualified to be a parent. I call those times being awake. Right? Anybody here ever feel like you're not qualified for this whole job of being a parent? And I know I do. I talk about this, but I do remember the first time we took each of our kids home, especially, you know, those first couple, Eli and Luke, right? You take those kids home, and I remember them kind of, well, we're excited, and they, they checked the car seat. Remember that? Y'all remember that car seat check? And I was like, the car seat is probably the least thing I'm worried about in life right now. Like, y'all are, let me take him home. Y'all didn't give me a class or anything. I spent seven years going to school to learn how to be a, to be a pastor. I haven't taken a single course on being a parent. 
It's just come to you. Just, just go. It's hard. Through every stage it's hard. Through those nights that you get the baby down, just as you get the baby down, you settle in for the night. You hear that monitor start to go. And you do 8,212 calf races holding the baby, trying to get them back to sleep. To the Tuesday night when she's four years old, and for whatever reason, tonight she will not eat her peas. She just won't eat the peas. She's closed her mouth. She won't do it. She won't open the mouth anymore. She just refuses to. You've tried the choo-choo train and the, and the airplane. You've tried all of it. And it's just not happening tonight. And you're so frustrated with your four-year-old who won't eat the peas. Or your 35-year-old husband. Whatever it is, you're frustrated. It's the note from the teacher for the third time in the last three weeks. That your first grader will just not stop talking when they're supposed to stop talking. It's the day that you decide somewhere on Facebook, they must have declared it, National Legion of Rebellious Siblings Day. Where everybody in the house seems to be working against your agenda and against each other. And you have lost your patience, you have lost your cool, you have yelled, you have screamed, and nothing seems to work. And you think you've lost control of your house for the rest of time. Or the time you got completely blindsided and had one of the deepest conversations you've ever had with your kid. You just wish you would have known it was coming before it actually happened. You're riding in the car and just a question came out and before you knew it, you were knee deep in deep questions. And at the end of it, you thought, man, I just hope I did okay there. I wasn't ready for that. So the time she's embarrassed by you. She used to run, jump in your arms, so excited to see you when you picked her up. But now it's dropped me off two blocks from school. Friends come over. They lock themselves in their rooms. You don't see them the entire time. You don't even really know what's going on with their life. You have some idea about some of the things. But, man, it just feels like you're losing her. You put on a classic movie from your childhood. So excited to show your kids finally this movie that was so impactful in your life. And you are like, where in the world did those words come from? Or that scene. I don't remember that. What did they, what, why did my parents let me watch this? Anybody ever been there before? Let me see. And then you're thinking, why did they let me watch? And what am I, how am I going to talk about? What, I have no, and you don't even remember the rest of the movie because you're worried about the conversations that are come that you weren't ready to have yet. Just a tip. Don't put the Goonies on for your kids, all right? There are things in there you don't remember, trust me. Hypothetically speaking, all right? It's walking the final box up the steps to the dorm room. And as you walk that box up to the steps to the dorm room, you're like, they're not ready for this. I'm not ready for this. You think, I'll just tell you what, let's just walk back down to the car. Let's put this back in the car. Let me grab you. We'll stick you in the car. We'll go home. And you think they're ready. They had a good high school. They were good kids. But there are more kids in this dorm than there were in the high school that he went to. She finished college. And now she's back at home. You thought you were done with this whole face. 
And now you're still waiting to go to sleep until you hear that door open. And you don't know what happened at college, but when she came out, you weren't real excited about the friends she had and the decisions she's made. And there seems to be no direction in her life whatsoever. You got the phone call at 2 a.m. in the morning. Looks like the grandkids are going to be coming to stay with you for a few days. You thought they had their life back on track. You never intended to be at your age taking care of the grandkids. But now you're going to take care of the grandkids probably for a while. And not only that, you've got to figure out how to take this child that you love and get their life back on track. Parenting is hard. You know, when you have your child, there's this kind of stomach in the moment. And sometimes you'll even hear like people talk about, and I've even done this, you talk about. And it's true in some ways that you have 18 years with your kids. You have 18 years to pour into your kids and then you release them into the world. But the truth is that that is in some ways true. But there's also this reality that you are a parent for life. It's always there. When I was, uh, when Susan and I were in, when I was in seminary in Texas, Susan and I were living in Fort Worth. We went to a church the first year called Travis Avenue Baptist Church. Dr. Michael Dean was and still is the pastor there. And uh, Dr. Dean uh, did a survey of his congregation about the things that they were most concerned about, most anxious about, because he was going to preach towards those kind of fears. And in that survey, the senior adults in the church, their number one topic of anxiety and worry was parenting their kids. It's hard. In the Incredibles movies, as strong as Mr. Incredible is, as flexible as Elastigirl is, as much as they can stop a speeding train or take down the biggest villains, their most difficult challenges are at home. And in Incredibles 2 in particular, there's a moment when Mr. Incredible, trying to help his teenage daughter out, uh, messes things up even more. And he can't seem to figure it out. And you can see the frustration as this man who can literally pick cars and throw them into the sky cannot figure out how to handle his teenage daughter. There are very few things in life more humbling than being a parent. Second thing. Incredible shows us the Bible teaches us this. As a parent, you are making disciples. Whether you want to or not, you are making disciples. And the Incredibles, the way they show it is that they pass down their superpowers from one generation to the next. But in our lives, the way that it will show is that your kids are more like you than you want them to be. Anybody else have this experience in their life? The things that mildly irritate you about yourself drive you nuts when you see them in your kids. Anybody else can I see? I just need some support this morning. Thank you. Right? Like, man, I know that's who I am. And man, I wish I was better than that. And you see it like reflected in your kids. And you're like, ah! Right? There is a, by the way, there's a scientific term for the way kids imitate their parents. And it's really scientific sounding. I just want to tell you. It's called over-imitation. Here's how they figured out over-imitation. They took um, a dog, a chimp, and a human kid. And they took an adult into the room and they showed the dog, the chimp, and the human kid how to open a box and get a treat outside to see how they would imitate that process. 
And so they showed him how to open the box, how to tear down the sides, how to reach in and get the treat, and then to enjoy the treat. They showed them by modeling, and then they asked them to do it. But then they also added, as they were doing that, they did some things that had no difference at all with getting the treat out of the box. And so they would take a feather and just rub it on the floor for a minute. And then there was a ball over here, and they would just go and roll the ball around with their hand for a second. So after every step, they would take a step that was not have anything to do with opening the box. And then they set the dog and the chimp and the child free to imitate. And the dog did only the steps necessary to get the ball out. He didn't go to the feather. He didn't go to the ball. He just got the ball out. The chimp, only the steps necessary to get the ball out. The child, every step along the way. The feather, the ball. And they call it over-imitation because what they say happens is they want to reflect absolutely every portion of what they're doing. And so as we think through that, one of the things that we have to understand is that God has literally built into the biology of our children. It is so ingrained in who they are That you are discipling your children whether you want to or not. They are becoming you. Well, I don't want to have any part of that. I don't want my kids to be like me at all. Too bad. They are. Anybody ever like, like, I don't know, hypothetically moved away from your hometown for 20 years or so? Gone back to your hometown and all the people that are your age are acting just like their parents? May have had experience, or he may have ever done something in your life, and you go, "I said I would never do that." Can I get some some confessions? I see those. All right, we imitate them. We're like them. And here's the point that's important about that, and this is where we kind of turn towards Deuteronomy chapter six. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Deuteronomy chapter six. You must choose what kind of disciples you want to make. You have chosen, you are choosing, but my suggestion to you today is to be intentional about the disciples that you're making. And the way you do that is by determining what you're putting center stage in the life of your kids, what your emphasis on, what you're focusing on, what you're spending your time, what you are getting angry about demonstrates more to your kids about what you value than anything else in your life. What do you get mad at your kids about? What do they see anger from you about? Because whatever that is, they know that's what you find important. Now, obviously, we're in church on Sunday morning, so we're going to talk about putting the Lord in the midst of that. But I want you to think about in your own lives, what is it you're putting on center stage for your kids right now? Is it their grades? Is it their academic performance? Is that the thing that gets you the most fired up? Is it sports and their involvement in that or extracurricular activities? Is it their own self-expression and being whoever they want to be? Is it their moralism? Just be a good kid. When you're not a good kid, I get mad about that. Like, Be nice to people with that detached from an understanding of who God is. 
Do they see in you? What is the center stage of your life? Are you just taking care of your kids through work and saying, well, I'm working 60 hours a week because that's the way I'm going to take care of my family. That's how I'm going to provide for them. That's what I'm going to do. Well, I'm providing them with every opportunity they could ever want every day of their lives because that's what it means to provide for my family. Like, what are you putting on center stage for your kids? And let me ask you this question. Whatever you're putting on center stage of your kid, what happens when that goes away? Because it will. I made really good grades in high school. Nobody asked me about that anymore. Nobody cares. It's nice for college and all that. I did well in college. But nobody goes, "Um, before we have this conversation, what was your uh, GPA when you graduated from high school? Like what happens when that platform goes away? Some of you in this room have kids that are really good athletes. But my guess is they're not going pro. And even if they go pro, guess what? At some point, that's going to end. What happens when that platform goes away? Some of you have got kids that are really good in, 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 in performance, the, the arts. They love what that is. And, and you're feeding, you're doing that. You're giving them every chance to succeed in that. But what's grounding that when that goes away? You have to determine what kind of disciples you want to make. Joshua 24, we'll get to Deuteronomy in just six in just a minute. Joshua 24, it's a verse we've looked at before. He says to the people, he says, It doesn't please you to worship the Lord. Choose to yourself who you want to. Which will you worship? The God your fathers worship beyond the Euphrates, gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. You choose. But he says, as for me and my family, we will worship the Lord. You've got to choose what kind of disciples you're going to make. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You have to choose. I was reading this week in a book called Choosing to Cheat by Andy Stanley about a time in his life when he had decided to to pastor and to start this church. And he was building North Point Church that would become one of the largest churches in America. But at the time, it was only running a couple of hundred people. And he was just getting it off the ground. And he prayed to the Lord. He says, I remember vividly praying to the Lord, God... I'm going to have to give my attention to the church right now. Lord, would you take care of my family while I'm taking care of this church to build it? He said after about a year in of burning himself out and getting nowhere fast, he said he realized he was praying the wrong prayer. He said because in his life he realized there were only two unique roles he had. Two unique roles. He said, every other role in my life somebody else could feel, but I had two unique roles. One, I was his wife's husband. And secondly, I was my father's, I mean my kid's father. He said, every other role in life somebody else can fill, but those are the two I can't. And so he said, I had to set for myself this idea, even in church work, that was the platform I was showing to them that I wanted them to see. But even in that, what I was saying was that that was more important than them. And what I wanted to commit to them is that I wanted to be a dad that developed kids who were passionately devoted to the Lord. This is what he said. He said, I learned that I did not want to trade what's unique to me for something somebody else will do. Paul David Tripp says, nothing is more important in your life than being one of God's tools to form a human soul. 
So you have to think, what do I want to accomplish? What do I want to be? What do I want to disciple into my kids? What do I want them to become? And this is something that, that I've, I've thought about, I've prayed about, I've worked through. And here are some of the things that I want for my kids. And this is kind of my Joshua moment. I don't know what you want. You, you choose. But as for me and my family, this is what I want for my kids. I want children who will put Christ above all else. Who will commit to doing His teachings. Who will love others as Christ loved the church. Who will commit to world evangelization. And who will remain in Him and show fruit of the Spirit's Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. And if that's my goal, then the question is, how do I get there? I mean, I know how to get there if you want your kid to be a high school starting tackle in football. They've got the size, then you put them in camps, and you go to all the camps, and you work at the practice, and you put them in middle school ball. Before that, you've had them in ball all their lives. I know what it's like if you want them to be first chair in an all-state Band. You, you put them in band lessons early on. You put them in the middle. You work in the summer camps. You go extra tutoring. You get people to help. Like you know what it means to, if that's your goal for your kid, what that means. If you want them to make straight A's, then you get tutors and you put them in classes and you work through that and you find somebody that can help them. Like you know that. So what does it look like to develop a lifestyle, to develop a family around those ideals of I want to put a child, I want to have a discipleship plan that puts Christ above all else, that has them commit to Christ's teaching, that loves Christ, that loves the people as Christ loved us, that commits to evangelizing the world, and that they would remain in Him for all their lives. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4. One of the most quoted verses of Scripture from the Old Testament. Jesus quoted this Scripture. It's quoted by Israelites, probably at the time of Jesus, it was quoted by Israelites more than anything else, by Jews more than any other verse. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Listen, Israel. The Lord your God, our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Here's the truth. If you want to develop kids that are passionately following the Lord, it starts with you. If you want kids that are following the Lord, then your life has to be a demonstration, an example of what it means to follow the Lord. Sometimes people will ask me or I'll read things somewhere that will say, I just want to know, how do, how do I get my child to follow the Lord? I'm really concerned about my kid. How do I get them to follow the Lord? How do I get them in church? How do I get them to, to read their Bible? How do I get them to pray? How do I get them to share their faith? How do I get them? And the question that I want to turn back to them is, says, how are you doing in that area? You want a kid that, that, that really wants to go to church? Well, do you? Okay, kid, I, I, really want, I wish my kid would have devotionals. Do you? I wish my kid would share his faith. Do you? Because the question we need to ask ourselves as parents is not what are our kids doing at the moment. The first question is what are we doing at it? Uh, Matt Chandler, a pastor in Texas, says that children are created with military-grade hypocrisy radar. They can smell whether you're a fake a mile away. And they know in your life whether it is real or whether it is just something you're playing with. Nobody knows that better than your kids. Because remember, God made them a lot like you. And if it's not real to you, it won't matter to them. 
And here's what I love about what happens here. This is Moses at the final moment, right before, literally before he would die in the end of this book. This is his last sermon, his last lecture, his last time with his people that he has led for 40 years. And he says to them in the midst of this, I'm not going to give you 100 rules. I'm not going to give you 75 rules. I'm not going to give you 12 quick ways. I'm not going to give you four ways, three ways. I'm going to give you one way to live. One command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. With everything you have, love the Lord. It starts with you. And then he gives us the answer in verses 6 and following about how we put that out every day. These words that I'm giving to you today are to be in your hearts. They've got to be real to you. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and your city gates. He says, then once it's real to you, once it happens to you, here's the prescription. Once it is absolutely happening with you, then take time, moments, and milestones and turn them towards the Lord. Think about intentional moments every day. Intentional ways that you can talk about the Lord, give understanding of the Lord, maybe set up a time when you can talk about devotional stuff with them, things that God's teaching you, things that you're learning. Simple things like um, Sunday school lessons that come home. Your kids are in Sunday school around here. Your grandkids are in Sunday school. They're going to have a sheet. They're going to have things to talk about. We, we do that almost every week. Tell me what you talk about in Sunday school. It's an easy question. In my family, it leads to people correcting each other about what the story was actually about. And before the end, we actually have the story like it ought to be. But it takes a minute to get there. Speak into your kid's life that way. I think it's interesting that it talks about some intentional things here. It talks about when you, when you sit in your house. So when there's downtime, I don't know what that is, but I've heard about it somewhere. When you walk along the road, I don't do a whole lot of walking down the road with my kids. I drive with them a lot. So turning conversation is intentional in the car. When you lie down and when you get up, at bedtimes and in the mornings, make time to talk about the things of the Lord, to get them prepared for the day, to recap what's happening. There's also this idea in there that it's just moment. It's just their lives. That in the moment, all these things are things they would have done every day of their lives. And so it's just in that moment, what are they doing? And milestone moments, put them on doorposts and, and have these ideas that when they're big moments in your kid's life, turn them towards the Lord. It starts with you. And then you just talk about it in every time and moment and milestone that comes along. Let me tell you two questions to ask yourself. These aren't going to be on the screen, but I think they're good questions, diagnostic questions for you. Because the biggest issue that you're going to have, honestly, when you walk away from here is once you get your life right, once you get your life where you're dedicated to the Lord, you're living for the Lord, you're absolutely passionately devoted to the Lord, guess what happens? Those times, moments, and milestones just naturally occur. You can't force them when that's not who you are. So I'm going to ask you two questions as we think about this, and I'm going to give you just some suggestions as we leave. Two questions. One, what is it in your life that draws you closer to the Lord? What is it in your life that draws you closer to the Lord? Second question, what is it in your life that draws you away from the Lord? Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Go home. And I'm not going to check it. I'm not going to check your homework next week, all right? 
but go home, make a list. These are the things that draw me closer to the Lord. Reading the Bible, talking with Christian friends, listening to Christian music, watching stuff that's going to, that's going to lift me up in my faith, having good conversations with spending time away from whatever. And then what takes me away from the Lord? Make that list. Entertainment choices I make, the websites that I visit, the friendships that lead me away from Him. And then in your life, start making more time for the things that draw you closer to the Lord and reducing the time for the things that take you away. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. You know what it looks like to be an incredible family? Is to consistently live your life Loving the Lord with all your heart, mind, and strength. Modeling that for your kids and encouraging in that way. Let's pray together.